Test, test. There we go. I feel like I'm doing a Verizon commercial. Can you hear me now? Okay. So, uh, well, that was an interesting start. So here we go. Uh, technical glitches happen. It's okay. It should not cause you to doubt. So uh, we're going to talk about doubt this morning. And, um, and I hope that as we go through this uh, short passage about John the Baptist and some doubt he harbored, that uh, perhaps you'll be encouraged that just because you have doubts at times does not mean your faith is in trouble or something like that. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 18 in a moment. Uh, but there is a big idea for you this morning, and that is just simple. Jesus increases our faith. Jesus increases our faith. That's our big idea this morning. And then three sub-points sort of that I came up with for this passage is, number one, that doubts come to all believers. All. And some would say they never doubt, but um, I have a hard time believing that because some of the greatest people in all of Scripture, the men of faith, had doubts. Um, doubts also are caused by circumstances and weakness in faith. Um, but doubts finally must be brought to Jesus himself. So let's look at what happened here with John the Baptist and how he sent some people to do a little fact-finding mission for him. Starting at verse 18 of Luke 17, it says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So at the time that this happened, John was in prison um, and he was having, obviously, some doubts. He was starting to wonder. I thought Jesus was the guy, the Messiah, the coming one. What's going on here? Why am I this prophet who Jesus himself said was the greatest of all prophets? Why am I sitting in prison then if he's the one? I, you know, you can imagine the various questions he might have had. Now, why was he in prison in the first place? Uh, is because he had boldly preached and boldly called out Herod. So do you see the juxtaposition here? On the one hand, he's boldly preached to the point where he was willing to preach some truths that got him thrown in prison, but then at the same time he had some doubts. So he's not um, a person that's perfected in faith completely, but he's a man of strong faith, but we see that he still had doubts. Well, let's look at the passage that tells us what had happened, why he was in prison in the first place. And this is back in... Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 17. And there it says, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and 
bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him put to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. Herod kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him. So Herod and his brother's wife that he took as his wife, this was a messed up family, folks. They had, this is not even the only instance, and I'm not going to go through the whole history of this family, but there was all kinds of incestual relationships, um, ungodly relationships that were happening in this family. And so John was put in prison, and right below the part where I just read, if you, many of you know the story as it went further, that eventually um, John's beheaded for that um, because Herodias' daughter dances for Herod, and he makes a flippant remark, anything I'll give you up to half my kingdom. She comes back to mom and says, well, what should I ask for? And she says, give him me John, Baptist, John the Baptist's head on a platter, which Herod did. So, um, so this is the... The contrast, right? He's, this is not a marks of a man of little faith. A guy who's willing to say to the most powerful man in that region, he, he's a king of a small area, so he's not like as high as Caesar, but he's pretty powerful in that area. And he's willing to speak truth to him to the point where he's like, enough of you, you're going to go into the prison and eventually get killed for it. He had boldness to preach. He had boldness to confront evil, yet doubts come to all. John was in prison, so he was dealing with the after effects of what sometimes can happen after proclaiming Christ as the Lamb of God. And certainly we could understand to an extent how he might have expected things to be a little different, right? I mean, him and Jesus were cousins. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from before he was born. He was told by people that Jesus said himself, this is a man who's greater, the greatest prophet. No, no one greater among men has been born than John the Baptist. And here he is in a desert prison. Um, and, you know, here's a guy that uh, didn't like being indoors in the first place, right? He, he was a man of the wilderness. He liked to be out on the run and eating locusts and honey and stuff like that. But He'd probably never even been in a house for more than a day and much less thrown in a prison cell. So this was probably a very tough time. And I can tell you, most uh, anyone who was put in prison, especially for their faith, would probably have times where they doubted whether they had done the right thing or whether God was doing the right thing. And, and it's not exactly the same as being willfully unfaithful, and I'm going to be talking about that in a little bit too. Um, but... We all have doubts at time. Again, the big idea that Jesus increases our faith, that doubts come to all believers. Doubts are caused by circumstances and by our own weakness. Um, but doubts must be brought to Jesus himself. So let's go back to verse 18 and 19 where, the, where I started out. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying... Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So doubt had come, even to this great prophet. Um, 
again, Jesus had said no one was greater than him. So how could it be that this great person doubts? But when we go through biblical history, we see again and again, there's moments where these great men of faith doubted. Moses had his doubts. Even, uh, even Elijah had his doubts, who we just read about in the first reading this morning. Um, but here in prison, John begins to sort of doubt. And he was likely affected by these things that affect us, too. He was probably tired, probably hungry, probably lonely, probably wondering why his service to God was being rewarded with prison. But doubt is not necessarily the same thing as unbelief. Uh, I want to read a quote here from the Bible Exposition Commentary, which says, There is a difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is a matter of the mind. We cannot understand what God is doing or why he is doing it. Unbelief is a matter of the will. We refuse to believe God's word and obey what he tells us to do. Doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong, said Oswald Chambers. It may be a sign that he is thinking. In John's case, his inquiry was not born of willful unbelief, but of doubt nourished by physical and emotional strain. And so what happens there is the same thing that happens to us when we're facing times of difficulty very often. We, we aren't sure what to make of it, and so doubt can enter. So what he does, we read about in, in verse 20 that um, he sent, or in verse 18 and 19, he sends these men to Jesus to ask these questions. And then when they come to Jesus, they, they say this. It says, verse 20, they came to him and said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? These are good messengers. They bring the question exactly as John had posed it. Um, and they came at a time when Jesus was in the mi middle of performing all kinds of miracles. So this way, they're, they're going to be able to bring back an eyewitness report to John. Remember John now, he's over there having his doubts. He's having a difficult time. He's been thrown in prison for, uh, for preaching truth. And he sends these guys. He's basically saying, I need some kind of encouragement here. I, need some, I just need to have my faith reaffirmed and, re, uh, and built back up again. So his two servants get to see firsthand what's happening with Jesus healing all these people. In verse 21, it tells us about that. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. That should be pretty faith-boosting, right? You see all this stuff happening. And so even though John couldn't see this firsthand, uh, his servants are able to see it and come back to him with a report. So Jesus is answering here this question they have. And I don't know if I'm inventing a, a new terminology for grammar, and I'll, I'll probably get corrected if not by our great teachers in the audience. But you know what a rhetorical question is, right? The rhetorical question is a question that in the question itself is the implication of the answer, right? And here I would say we have a rhetorical answer. I don't know if that's a real word. I, did I make it up or is it something I just came up with? But Jesus doesn't answer the question, really. 
They ask him a direct question. They ask him very clearly, are you the one to come or shall we look for another? But he answers them in verse 22 and 23. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Leopards are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And so this is an amazing thing. Sends these guys. They just probably were thinking they're going to go talk to Jesus. And maybe he's going to tell them something that will affirm their faith and help John to get through his time of difficulty. Just a word of report, right? But Jesus doesn't answer and say, yes, I'm the one. He says, look with your own eyes and see what is happening here. So who is it that increases our faith? Jesus increases our faith. And if you need your faith increased, you need to go to Jesus. And how do you go to Jesus? Well, you pray and ask him to increase your faith, certainly. But you go to his word, and his word will increase your faith as you read it. And if you need, also go to another believer in the body of Christ and say, I'm really in need of encouragement. What's your favorite Bible verse that encourages you when you're struggling? And have these conversations because those are the things that will increase your faith. Jesus increases our faith, and he does it through his Holy Spirit and through his word. And we need to be in his word to receive a lot of that. Now, what was John being told by all this? John knew who Jesus was. He had professed it loudly. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's no doubt to the people who heard him say that what that was talking about. It was the Passover Lamb of, that Jesus was. And so there was no secret there. He was saying it clearly. And yet he sends and says, Are you the one? Or shall we wait for another? He's struggling with doubt, but he still already knows in his head. He's kind of looking for a confirmation. And, uh, and what does Jesus do? He reaffirms what these guys are seeing. The sick being healed, the dead being raised, the deaf being made to hear, the blind being uh, given sight, and the gospel being preached. And what that would have done for John would have been to recall him. Remember who John the Baptist's father was? Zechariah, who was a what? He was a priest. Do you think that boy grew up learning the word of God in his home? I'm pretty sure he did. He, he probably went to D6 every day, right? So he hears that these things are happening, and what can that remind him of but God's word and what God's prophets had said would happen in time through the Messiah, I want to read a few of these just to show you what John would have probably reflected on when he heard these things. Isaiah 29, 18 said, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. So John hears from his servants, This guy's healing blind people. And John says, I feel like I heard something about that somewhere. And Isaiah 35, 5 and 6 says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams 
in the desert. John needed some encouragement. Jesus didn't send back a positive phrase to say, yes, tell him I am the one. He said, tell him what you're seeing. And when John heard what they were seeing, I am positive he would have been reminded of these promises through the prophets. And I also want to point out that Jesus himself had already said, and we, we went through this earlier in, in Luke uh, some chapters back, when he first went to the temple and he opened up that scroll and he opened it up to Isaiah 61 and Jesus applied it to himself. And here's what Isaiah 61 says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. What did John have but a faint spirit? That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak to you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of the dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth springs forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. That's Isaiah 61. That's a pretty good one, huh? Jesus applied that to himself. And said to the people, this is fulfilled in your hearing. And when John was struggling with doubts in his faith and sent his messengers to Jesus, he didn't say to them, yeah, go tell him it's all right. He said, tell them what you see with your own eyes, what you have witnessed. And this is fulfilling Isaiah 61 and other passages of scripture. These were signs of the Messiah. And when God was bringing his kingdom that blind would be healed and all of these miracles would happen 
and it was happening through Jesus. So remember the big idea here. Jesus increases our faith. Doubt comes to all believers. Doubts are caused by circumstances and weakness, but doubts must be brought to Jesus himself. You notice John didn't call on anyone else except Jesus to find his answer. He didn't say, he didn't say to these two servants, you know, go to the temple and look at those scrolls again. He didn't say, go and talk with the Sanhedrin and see what they think. He went to the one where his faith was rooted and said, almost like the man whose, whose son needed healing, and Jesus said, do you believe? And he said, I believe, help my unbelief, right? Seems like a contradictory statement, and I know I've preached on that before, and I still have that on the way out of my office every day where I see it. I believe, help my unbelief. A reminder that we need God's help even to believe. And we need Jesus' help. And so, just as John did, when we're in doubt, we need to go to Christ himself. I want to read a, a quote from uh, R.C. Sproul here. It said, remember how after the text was read, this is the text that I just read, Isaiah 61, Jesus gave a very brief sermon declaring to the congregation, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That bold declaration earned him the unmitigated wrath of his hearers. They didn't miss the point. They understood that Jesus was saying that he was the fulfillment of Isaiah's predictions of the coming Messiah. Here in this text where Jesus returns the message to John the Baptist, he sends in the message a clue that John, being steeped in the Old Testament, would certainly not overlook. Jesus doesn't give a direct answer. He just says, tell John what I am doing. Tell John to remember what the scriptures say. When doubts come, bring them to Jesus. His answers come in his word. And if someone you know is having doubt, give them encouragement through God's word. That's the best. We, we know we're people of the book. We know that we say we're rooted in scripture. But how often when someone's discouraged, do we say, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, my relative died once too. Yeah, I lost a job once too. So sorry. Give them scripture. If you really want to encourage someone, go to the words of Holy Scripture and give them those words. And if it takes you time to go and research, like, I don't know what the right verse to help this person is, well, take your time. Don't flippantly do it, but go do it thoughtfully. Say, Lord, help me find a word that can encourage my brother or my sister in Christ. And finally, at the very end of this little passage, and there's actually more on this because Jesus kind of keeps talking about John in the next passage that we'll get to next week, Lord willing. Um, but he reminds his followers in verse 23 not to be ashamed of him. Verse 23, blessed is the one who is not ashamed uh, or who is not offended by me, which also means don't be ashamed of me. And uh, we talked about in D6 this morning that we... We have times that are going to happen in our lives where we're going to be standing for Christ and we're going to be treated poorly by others, maybe even violently. But Jesus says, you still need to stand for me. If you don't stand, 
for Jesus, he says, if, you, if you're not willing to put me above every other relationship in your life, you're not worthy of me. He says it again here, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And I want to read one more quote here from R.C. Sproul, who wrote a great commentary, by the way, on the book of Luke. Um, and he said this, then Jesus adds something to the message to his dear friend John. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Do you like to keep your religious affections a secret, particularly from your friends who are not enamored with Christ? Is there a sense in which Jesus, though you embrace him as your redeemer, is still a bit offensive to you? There are many, many people who struggle with that. But Jesus said, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Something very human is going on here in this narrative. To have a loyal friend, someone on whom you can count in a time of crisis, is a great privilege. There are very few people in this world who are so loyal to other people and care that deeply that they will stand beside them in the worst moments of human crisis particularly if it involves a personal risk to do so. John's life was on the line. He would eventually be beheaded because of his faithfulness to the mission that God had given him. But Jesus pronounced a blessing on those who would not stumble over him, on those who would remain loyal to him in the midst of their doubts and in the midst of difficult circumstances. There's something very important in this exchange between Jesus and the disciples of John. How would you feel if a close friend and supporter sent a message to you which said, I'm not really sure whether you are who I thought you were. Should I look for somebody else? The normal human reaction would be to retaliate with criticism about the other person, but not Jesus. Jesus takes this occasion after answering the inquiry of John to give public testimony to his own endorsement of the greatness of John the Baptist. Jesus understood the agony of the attack of the enemy on John. Jesus understood what loneliness and solitude could do. Jesus understood that John the Baptist was perhaps a bit impatient for Jesus to get on with his messianic agenda. He also understood that John was not a cowardly weakling who blew hot and cold with every wind of public opinion. Jesus knew who John was. Even though John doubted Jesus for a moment, Jesus never doubted, doubted him. And why is that? Because scripture tells us that whoever God calls into his service, he will see to the end. He will complete that good work in us just as he completed it in John the Baptist. So Jesus increases our faith. Doubt does come to all believers. Doubts are caused by circumstance and weakness. But doubts must be brought to Jesus himself. That's where we need to take our doubts. So you might have grown up in a, in a different type of un, uh, church that said maybe doubting was an indication that you're a horrible person with no real faith. Um, I, when I was younger, I heard a lot of things like, if you just believe without unwavering faith, then everything you pray for will happen and it'll be healed. And, and when I was in fourth grade and I had to start wearing glasses, that was a frustrating thing. In North Dakota, it's the opposite of here, where in the summer you walk out and your glasses fog up. In the North Dakota, in the winter, you walk in and your glasses fog up. 
and then you don't have windshield wipers and they get smudged and they're hard, they're kind of frustrating if you're trying to play games or something and play sports and I hated wearing glasses. And so many, many times because of that strong kind of word of faith, they call it, like if you don't waver in your faith, you'll get what you want. And I prayed with belief, I think, many times. And I would say, I'm waking up tomorrow and I'll never need my glasses again. And then it never happened. So then I thought, well, they say that if that happens, it's because you're not strong enough in your proclamation or you're not strong enough in your faith. So that's why it's not happening. And I would pray harder and I'd ask more for God's help and still never happened. So you begin to have doubts, right? And then you say, well, the, the way I've been told is doubts are evil and, and only you know, bad Christians have doubts. And that can be tough on your faith. And you might have grown up in a situation where you've been told some wrong teaching or something that made you grow up in a way that you, you ended up having doubts over your faith. And by no means will you ever find a church where all the doctrine's 100% perfect because not one of us is perfected. And as much as we may try, we're, we're probably missing something somewhere. But here's what you need to know. The source of the cure to your, devout, to your doubts is in God's word. That's where you need to go. I, I say this all the time, and I don't want it to ever come across flippantly, but just because I say it a lot. But don't take my word for it. Go and read your Bible and find out for yourself and see if what I'm telling you is true. Because I am not the ultimate source of truth by any means. I'm only trying to proclaim what God has given already and trying to do it faithfully. But I could be in error, but God's word is never in error. And that's the source of the confidence that you need in your faith. So if you have doubts, ask Jesus for help, but also use the tools he gives us to help ourselves as well. And he's given us his word. There's not one person in this room that can't find a Bible in their heart language and and read it for themselves. Or at least listen to an audio version, but I recommend reading for yourself. And read the Bible. And I would guess that many people who have ongoing doubt issues, if you really were to ask, how often do you read your Bible? They might not be able to answer you very well. And I'm not saying that to condemn anyone. I'm saying it to encourage you that there is a solution to your doubt. It's to seek God. Get in his word and ask for his help. And you will. God answered John. He didn't answer, Jesus didn't answer directly, but he answered by telling him, this is what's happening. And in the parentheses that is not said, but John certainly would have perceived is, and you know what the prophet said, right? John would know that, so he would, he would have this doubt taken care of for him. And so if you have doubts, that's what I want to encourage you. Go to Jesus with your doubts. Say, Jesus, I have a trouble. Maybe that's some doctrine that you struggle with. Maybe it's some standing up to Uh, the world that you have trouble with and you're like I doubt that I can do this or I don't think I have the ability to do uh, the great commission I don't have the ability to share my faith whatever your doubts are take them to Jesus and go to his word let's pray Lord thank you for your word this morning I pray God that as we 
process what John the Baptist was going through. This great man of faith and many other great men of faith in Scripture. And yet, Lord, there were times that they doubted. May that encourage us in a sense, Lord, to say not that our doubt is, is a good thing, but that it is part of the human condition. And it's part of our lack of perfection that you will give us once you finally take us home. But for now, we must struggle. And so, Lord, I pray as we do that, that we would heed what you're telling us this morning, to go to Jesus and go to your word. And may your word and your Holy Spirit speak directly into our hearts, Lord, to encourage our faith and strengthen us, Lord, so that we may do all that you've called us to do and that we may see the work you began in us brought to completion. Lord, do it for your glory in your church. In Jesus' name, amen.